Chapter 11 of Bird's Eye Views of Far-Off Lands. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Bird's Eye Views of Far-Off Lands by James T. Nichols. Chapter 11. Some Impressions of the Great Peace Conference. For a month the writer listened to the heartbeat of nations as their representatives were gathered in the city of Paris. No other city ever had within its borders so many of the statesmen of nations. There were worked out the beginnings of the great problems that will mean the life of civilization. Should the nations of the earth plan and make preparation for another war, the race is imperiled. It is either universal peace or universal doom either some plan to stop war or preparation for the final judgment quit fighting or quit living peace or death the late war revealed the possibilities of human genius man's power to destroy has been discovered and across the sky can be seen in letters of blood the warning abolish war or perish some say the war ended six months too soon but had it continued that much longer the probable results are too awful to contemplate. The angel of destruction had the sword lifted over Germany, but it was as though divine providence stayed his hand. American genius was just coming into play. For instance, we are told that a gas had been discovered that is so deadly that a few bombs filled with it and dropped upon a city would all but wipe it out of existence. When the armistice was signed, hundreds of tons of that gas were ready for use and on the way to the battlefront. Other inventions and discoveries have since been brought out that are too deadly to even talk about. No one can describe the peace conference without giving great credit to our president, for without him it seemed that the leaders were unable to get anywhere. When he said that the time had come when the civilized nations of the earth should form an organization to abolish war, the enthusiasm of the common people knew no bounds. A committee was at once appointed to work out a constitution for such an organization, and President Wilson was made the chairman. Some problems touch only the rich and others have to do with the poor alone. Some interest only the capitalist and others interest only those who toil with their hands. Some absorb the thought of only the white race, while others have to do with the black and yellow races. Some have to do only with the educated, while others reach none but the ignorant. But here is a problem that has to do with every family on the earth. Rich or poor, capitalist or laboring man, white, black, and all other colors of races. In fact, it touches every home and will do so as long as people live upon the earth. To abolish war would rejoice the heart of every mother who has gone into the jaws of death to give birth to a son. It would bring gratitude from the heart of every wife and sweetheart whose face has been bathed with tears as the last goodbyes were on their lips. It would be a blessing to every child now living, as well as to the generations yet unborn. It would thrill the heart of every lover of justice and mercy, and would answer the heart longings of millions who have prayed without ceasing for the reign of peace on earth among men of good will. When President Wilson enunciated the fourteen points, some wiseacres laughed and criticized. But these very points formed the basis of the armistice, and the good Lord only knows how many American lives were saved, to say nothing of the English, French, 
Italian, and all the rest. No one knows how many are alive and well today who would have been sleeping in unknown and unmarked graves had the armistice been detained a single week. The American headquarters in Paris during the peace conference were at the Hotel Grillon, which is on the Place de la Concorde in the heart of the city. The room number 351 belonged to the suite occupied by Colonel House, and it was really the birth chamber of the League of Nations. The 19 men who made up the committee belonged to 14 nations. President Wilson, as chairman, called them together in this room. The first meeting of this committee was held February 3rd and was very brief. In all, 10 meetings were held, and all were held in this room. President Wilson presided at all but one of them. Each man brought his suggestions in writing so there would be no chance for misunderstanding. Full discussion of all points was always encouraged. When the entire Constitution was worked out, it was agreed to unanimously, and it was then ready to be presented to the Peace Conference. Until the Peace Treaty was ready to sign, all meetings of the Great Conference were held in the Foreign Ministry Building in Paris. This is across the river scene from the Concord. Many supposed all meetings were held at Versailles, but this is a mistake. Versailles is the city of some 60,000 people and about 10 miles from Paris. The old palace is there, but the great hall of mirrors where the treaty was finally signed could not be comfortably heated in the winter time. So for that, as well as other reasons, the meetings were held in Paris. Through Mr. Ray Stannard Baker, I received a pass to the Peace Conference. These passes were only given to newspaper men, and I represented People's Popular Monthly. The great day was February 14, 1919. On this date, 84 statesmen representing 27 nations, the combined population of which is more than 1,200 million people, were seated around one table. Clemenceau was the chairman of the conference and sat at the head of the table. By his side sat our own president, who at the time towered head and shoulders above the statesmen of the world. Let politicians rave and senators criticize, yet the fact remains that Woodrow Wilson will have a place in history by the side of the immortal Lincoln and Washington. When he was introduced, our president read the Constitution, or Covenant as it was called, and then made some remarks concerning it. While I stood listening to him as he thrilled the hearts and held almost breathless this company of statesmen, and noted their faces as he said, We are now seeing eye to eye, and learning that after all, all men on this earth are brothers. My eyes are swimming in tears, and I don't know yet whether it was the man speaking, what he said, or the way he thrilled those men, that caused it. I do know, however, that this is one of the greatest moments I ever lived. Near the end of the table sat a black man from Liberia. How his face shone and his eyes sparkled when he heard these words. When he reached his homeland, he no doubt told his people how the great American president championed a plan to abolish war and told the statesmen of the peace conference that the world is learning that all men on this earth are brothers, and the very hills of that black land echoed with praises for America. Since that day the Chinese, who have never been warriors and love America anyway, have talked in their tea rooms and joss houses about the American president's plan to abolish war. 
in the villages of far-away india in the homes of the sea islanders and in fact wherever human beings have congregated they have talked of a world peace but it was the peoples of the downtrodden war-stricken nations especially who looked to our president as the great champion of liberty and freedom they believed that he was the big brother and that the country that he represented would see that they were treated fairly representing the great western giant whose genius power and marvelous accomplishments of a few short months filled all europe with amazement and far outdistanced anything they had done in the three years before standing at the head of the only unexhausted nation and which could dictate the policies of the world for this man to go to the peace conference with a plan to forever abolish war it simply won for himself and our country the admiration and confidence of the statesmen of the world nothing like it had ever been seen before and the gratitude of all knew no bounds then the modest dignified unselfish bearing of our president among them turned gratitude into love and devotion the words of the far-sighted wisdom spoken everywhere brought from the greatest statesman the recognition of leadership without a single effort on his part to put himself forward he became the natural leader of all a single instance of his thoughtfulness will be given i was determined to see the tomb where general pershing stood when he uttered the famous words lafayette we have come and which made the whole french nation doff its hat and cheer after hours of searching and miles of walking and inquiries galore the place was found but the door to the enclosure had to be unlocked with a silver key when the entrance was gained and the spot finally reached there on the tomb was a wreath of flowers nearly as large as a wagon wheel and which when they were fresh must have been beautiful beyond words to describe upon it was a card on which had been written in english these words the president of the united states of america in memory of the great lafayette from a fellow servant of liberty then came the months of haggling the work of selfish politicians both at home and abroad and finally the rejection by our own people of the greatest piece of work since the beginning of the christian era all of which makes one who knows the real situation hang his head in shame why any living mortal in america could oppose a plan that has for its object the abolition of war is simply amazing to the people of europe just before i left paris in nineteen nineteen a french businessman said to me i understand that the cables are saying that they have some men in your country who are opposing your president and this effort to abolish war what kind of men have you got over there anyway go back and tell them that it is not only the greatest thing for america that he came over here but it is one of the greatest things for the whole world that ever happened in the fall of nineteen twenty one i made another trip to europe and the change was beyond any power to describe people who looked upon america as the one great nation of the earth almost sneered when they mentioned our attitude toward the league of nations they have almost lost confidence in us and it will be hard to regain it france is especially bitter perhaps the result of the disarmament conference which is practically the same thing under another name will help them to forget some things but the french will be slow to take up with it we are all proud of the part our leaders had in this great meeting in washington but had our government stood enthusiastically for the league of nations 
it would have saved hundreds of millions of dollars that we now have to dig up in taxes and at the same time saved famine fighting and hatred that it will take a long time to overcome end of chapter eleven